Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome back. And I should say, happy February. It is, what day is it? It's Wednesday. My goodness, this week is flying. It's Wednesday, February 1st, 2023. Speaking of flying, January was kind of a blur for me. I don't know if it was for you. But at 7 a.m., and here we are in uh, Spotswood at the manse at the kitchen table. And I am delighted to be with you this morning. Um, Y'all, we are rolling through now, and we have gone in just a span of a few days from one of the darkest moments in human history. Um, well, I would say the darkest moment, but also simultaneously the brightest moment. But the darkest moment being Jesus's crucifixion and death, the, the one who had no sin, taking sin upon himself and offering himself as a sacrifice for many. So terrible and yet so wonderful for in doing so, he purchased salvation for all who would trust in him. So we went from there to yesterday, Jesus appearing to Mary Magdalene and with but a single word, completely transforming her and the situation. It was only her name that she heard because she had a relationship with the Lord. That's all it took. And she knew that it was indeed Jesus. But today we are picking up with Jesus appearing to even more. As we're going to see today, Jesus will appear to his disciples and he's going to teach them some things. Surprise, surprise, right? Even how he greets them is fantastic. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's pray, and then we're going to dig in. Our Father, what a blessing it is to have this time together. I pray that you would guide us in it. Give us an appreciation for our Lord. Also an appreciation for how you have designed things to work. We come to some tricky things today, Father, so let us understand. Please guide us by your Holy Spirit now. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're in John chapter 20. Look at verse 19 with me. That's where we are picking up. It says, on the evening of that first day of the week, pause, side note, time out, okay? There is a debate out there as to when Jesus was crucified when he rose from the dead. People look at the different days, that kind of stuff. Y'all, the resurrected Jesus, this is a sequence, okay? We start in the morning, right? Chapter 20, early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark. This is chapter 20, verse 1. Mary Magdalene went to the tomb. First day of the week is, of course, Sunday, right? This is why we refer to Sunday as the Lord's Day, because the Lord was resurrected from the dead on Sunday. So chapter 20, verse 1 tells us early on the first day of the week, you have Mary going to the tomb. Follow the timeline. Mary Magdalene goes to the tomb. She sees the stone rolls, rolled away. She runs back to the disciples. She gets John and Peter. Those two take off. John gets there first looks in the tomb, doesn't go in. Peter just bust up in the place. Then John goes in too. They both believe, right? And then they go back to their houses. Mary Magdalene is still there. She's highly distraught. She's still looking for where they have put Jesus. She has this interaction with the gardener. Okay, the, we could gauge that by this time, it's probably midday-ish, something like that. Of course, it's not the gardener. It's Jesus. She saw the two angels, isn't even concerned over the angels. She wants to know where Jesus is. Jesus appears to her, confronts her, tells her instructions to give to the disciples. 
Okay, she goes back. And then we find out verse 19, where we pick up today. On the evening of the first day of the week. So it's Sunday evening at this point. And we hear something else. When the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. So not only do we find out the timeline from this verse, we find out where the disciples are. And in short, they're in hiding. Y'all, I think there's a reason why the only one of them that was at the cross was John himself, right? We know that because if we rewind back to chapter 19, you see that John entrusts the care of his mother Mary, or excuse me, Jesus entrusts the care of his mother Mary to John, okay? And he instructs John to care for his mother. John ends up taking her into his home, but he's the only one. I know other disciples in terms of, well, it's not the 12 anymore. It's the 11 because Judas has committed suicide at this point. But none of the others are there as far as we know. And when we get to chapter 20, we find out where they are. They're behind locked doors because they're afraid of the Jews. What does this mean? It ain't that hard to figure out. The Jews killed Jesus. They were there with him when he was arrested. They're probably thinking that they're coming for us next. And indeed, they may have been. We don't know. Um, we know that if that was their plan, it's not recorded here, but it was thwarted. They were done away with. And perhaps Jesus was enough for them at that point, because in their hellish um, evil, they probably thought that everything was over once they killed Jesus. I mean, really, really and truly, that's probably what they thought. Um, of course, they never understood the prophecies. Well, I'll take that back. They refused to see the prophecies replied to Jesus, right? They understood the prophecies, but they refused to recognize Jesus as the Messiah. So they said, well, once we deal with the leader, everything will just fall apart. Of course, it did not. But the disciples are there in hiding. And isn't it just fantastic what Jesus says to them? You know, and again, that's in verse 19. Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Now, that's fantastic because, of course, that should not sound unfamiliar to us. If you rewind back to chapter 14, remember the progression of the gospel according to John as we've been through. It's in chapter 14 that Jesus is speaking very plainly about what's going to happen. Chapter 14, verse 1, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me, or believe in God, believe also in me. And then he talks about how he's going to go away, how he's going to come back, and then how he's going to go away again. But then God can send the counselor, all of these different things. And yet it is in verse 27 of John chapter 14 that Jesus says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. And the resurrected Jesus says, What to his disciples? The very first thing? Well, again, he says, Peace be with you. He has fulfilled his promise that he gave them all the way back in John chapter 14, that he's giving them peace. But he doesn't give like the world gives. You realize everything that the world gives you has an expiration date. 
you ever thought of it that way? I hope that you do. And you know, typically when we think about expiration dates, we think about what's on the milk carton and, and that sort of stuff when things go bad. But the best that this world has to offer eventually falls apart, right? Um, as Jesus said, moth and rust destroy or the thief breaks in and steals and kills and nothing the world can give you is permanent. And yet, as we see from Jesus, nothing can stop his promises. Death itself has no bearing on the promises of God. And so Jesus comes to them behind locked doors, and he comes to them with peace. And that's not all. Verse 20, after he said this, he showed them his hands inside. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Now, this is a little interesting, isn't it? Um, how did this look? What conversation did Jesus literally just walk in there and say, peace be with you, and then start you know, rolling up his sleeves and, and pulling up? I, I don't know, y'all. Did Jesus show this to them because of doubt? Well, we're going to get to Thomas soon enough. Um, is that what's going on here? I don't know. It doesn't matter. But I think it's fascinating that Jesus comes in and addresses probably the two key things that are on their minds. Number one is their own safety. And Jesus comes proclaiming peace. Right? Number two, they're probably wondering about who he is. Uh, is he a ghost? We know that, that early on, the disciples had a propensity to fear ghosts. When Jesus walked on water, they looked out and they thought it was a ghost, right? And Jesus said, do ghosts do this? You know, that kind of thing. So Jesus, perhaps that's why he's addressing this. Perhaps it is to show them that, it, that he's not an apparition, okay? That he's not a figment of their frenzied imaginations or anything like this. Because if that was the case, that he wouldn't have the wounds in his hands and his sides or, or the, the wounded places, the scars in his hands and in his sides. Perhaps he showed them this to identify who he was. We know from earlier in the chapter that when Mary saw him, she thought he was the gardener and didn't understand who he was. We know this is his glorified body, right? We don't know exactly that he looked precisely the same as he did before he was crucified, but none of that matters. What matters is after Jesus met them where they were, after he revealed himself to them, the disciples were overjoyed, as it says in the second part of verse 20. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. My friends, we're given a window here into what faith looks like. Faith is not always rational. Now, let me be very careful and very clear here. Ration backs up faith. Facts back up faith. There are so many facts about the validity of God's word, about the truth of Jesus's sacrifice. And I'm not saying that there isn't evidence that demands a verdict, as Josh McDowell wrote in his famous book. There most certainly is. But y'all, when it comes to the difficulties of life, when it comes to processing how things work, when it comes to determining the hope for your future, this is where the peace of Jesus comes in. That's available only through his Holy Spirit, as we're going to see in just a moment. But the beauty here is what a real relationship with Jesus looks like. 
Because the fact is, is while they were most likely scared for their lives, we know they were because they were behind locked doors. While they're wondering what in the world is going on with Jesus, what's happening, what's going to happen to them. Again, verse 20b, the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. The reason I'm, I'm dwelling on this, staying on this, is because I don't know what, where you are. I don't know what you're facing. But let me just tell you something, no matter what it is, you need to see the Lord. If you are struggling, if you are hurting, if you're trying to recover from something, if you are dealing with the past, if you're dealing with things that you've done in the past, that you need forgiveness for, it doesn't matter what it is, you need to see the Lord. Because if you know him, the end product of seeing the Lord in your life will be the same end product of the disciples seeing the Lord here in that they were overjoyed. And if you want to be overjoyed, if you want this peace that doesn't have an expiration date, it will only be through seeing the Lord. Now, how do we see the Lord? Y'all know the answer, right? We see the Lord through his word. We see the Lord through the power of the Holy Spirit, who we're about to talk about in just a second here. We see the Lord through prayer, not the devices of the world, not these silly methods that people try to do. No, 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 no. We need Jesus. You need Jesus. And if you will seek him in his word, if you will seek him through following his will for your life, if you will seek him through prayer, through talking to him, then this joy can be yours. Now, in light of them being overjoyed, verse 21, again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. It is at this point, y'all, and later on, again in Acts, when the Holy Spirit fills them again, um, reveals, illuminates to them again, but it is at this point that all of the promises that Jesus made about asking the Father to send another counselor, we've been on this on Sunday morning, John chapter 14, Jesus promises to send another counselor. He, he tells them all about the counselor that is coming, right? And here, here, right now, Jesus breathes on them, and they receive the Holy Spirit. Now, we need to be careful here because we don't want to turn this into something that it's not. Namely, we don't want to turn this into a paradigm for you and me to follow. And let me be clear, I'm not talking about receiving the Holy Spirit. Absolutely, yes, we need to follow that. <laughs> what I'm referring to here is the actual physical event that took place. Remember, like I told you several weeks ago, right? And I think I've mentioned this over and over again. There are things that happen in the gospel according to John that are unique to the disciples given the timeline of Jesus's ministries and the fulfillment of Jesus's promises, okay? Given what he is doing in his ministry. There are things that happen with them that are not regulative for you and for me. This is one of those things. The disciples previously, while the Holy Spirit was with them, had not indwelled them. And so it's at this point that they received the Spirit from Jesus himself. 
and they receive it from Jesus breathing on them. Y'all, that doesn't happen with you and me that way. It happens when we place our faith in Christ. When we are saved, we receive the Holy Spirit. Okay, that's, I'm not saying we don't receive the Spirit. We do. But it's not a matter of literally somebody breathing on you. You might say, well, yeah, of course not. That's silly. Well, it ain't that silly because there's some people that believe that. Um, last night in, in the Bible study of the Pattersons, I so appreciated Pat talking about this because the baptism of the Holy Spirit is one of those things that is a controversial topic. Let me tell you something, y'all. I'm a pastor. I don't baptize with the Holy Spirit. I don't have that authority. I don't have that right because the Holy Spirit doesn't proceed from me. The Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son to do the will of the Father and the Son, right? Then not, not for me. As John the Baptist said, he said, I baptize with water, but one who is coming, is one's coming, he'll baptize with fire, right? With the Holy Spirit himself. That's Jesus's domain. That's Jesus's right. He breathes on the disciples here. They receive the Holy Spirit, and yet we receive the Holy Spirit through trusting in him. So, Keep that in mind, but also keep in mind what this means for the disciples. John's been hinting at this, right? Back in chapter 19, verse 35, the man who saw it has given testimony and his testimony is true. He knows what he tells. Uh, he, he knows that he tells the truth and he testifies so that you may also believe. Fast forward to John chapter 20, verse 8. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside he saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to be raised from the dead. We get these hints of believing all along. Peter's confession that Jesus is the Christ. All of these things are happening. But it is at this point, you see. It is at this point right now that they see, that they believe, that they understand because they are filled with the Holy Spirit. And all of those promises that Jesus made about his abiding peace all of those promises that are made to them about his indwelling of the Spirit, here they come full circle. And you'll notice the product of receiving the Holy Spirit. While there are all sorts of things that the Holy Spirit does, the ultimate product is what has been said here. Peace be with you. Now, again, I don't know what everybody's going through. I know what some of you are going through because you have loved me enough and, and honored me enough to bring me into your lives. And I cherish that and honor that. But I know that we all are facing life. I know that what everybody really ultimately is looking for in life is what Jesus has done here, which is give peace. There is no peace apart from the presence of the Holy Spirit. It just doesn't exist. The quasi-peace that is there has that expiration date that I was talking about. It's tainted. It's partial. And yet, partial peace is no peace at all. That's like saying that in a war, well, we're only going to kill five people a day. We'll do it for the next thousand years, but it's only five people a day. And you say, well, that's great. Instead of... Tens of thousands of people dying from bombs being dropped. It's only five people a day. Well, it might be only five people a day, but that's still not peace. What Jesus gives you through the Holy Spirit is comprehensive. 
It stretches to every area of life and goes past this life and to eternity. There's a priority that's revealed here for Jesus in terms of his relationship with us, a desire that is revealed. And what is that? And my friends, this is something to dwell on today. And I wanted to get done with this section. We won't, I don't want to rush verse 23 because talk about things that have been misinterpreted and misunderstood. We'll pick up with verse 23 when we come back together again tomorrow. But y'all, the desire that Jesus has for you, really, and I, and I don't say things like that lightly, but the desire that Jesus has for you is peace. And no, that doesn't mean that you won't face trouble. It doesn't mean that you won't face hardship. What it means is his desire is to have that abiding relationship with you. That abiding presence in your life through his Holy Spirit. So to that end, number one, do you know him? And if you do, number two, are you submitting to the Spirit? Are you willing to be led by Jesus Christ? If you don't know the answer to that question, how often do you ponder what Jesus would have you do? I would encourage you to do so, and not just every once in a while, but every day. When's the last time you woke up in the morning and said, God, what do you want me to do today? Holy Spirit, show me what you would have me do. Because that is God's desire for you, and we see it in the first thing that Jesus does here, I would encourage you to go down that road and <clears throat> take the time this morning to do that. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this time that you have given to us. We thank you for the priorities that we see on display in Jesus Christ. It is our desire to have this peace, our desire to have this relationship. Guide us by your spirit. Make us sensitive to your calling. Give us the courage and the joy to submit and to obey as we seek your face in your word through prayer and by the empowerment of the spirit. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I thank you all for being a part of this time. Lord willing, we'll be back tomorrow morning at 7 a.m. I see Becky and Alice. Good morning. And there's Rose and the other Becky. Yeah, uh, it's frozen outside of my house. So y'all be careful out there. Um, I see Roberta. Good morning. I hope we'll get some sunshine, too. And there's Jack and Patsy. It's so good. I see your comments after the fact. And it is so good that you're here with us live. And then there's Terry. It is my honor to, to be here with you all. Thank you so much, folks. We'll see you tomorrow morning, Lord willing, 7 a.m.